0: Welcome back to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg and vacation mama, Connie, (laughs) is going to tell us all about Anita Cobby.
1: Yes, it's been a long two weeks. Almost, I guess it's like almost three weeks,
0: right? This is the third week. Well, we recorded two episodes. Yeah, that's right. So it's been
1: like two and a half weeks. I'm not going to lie. It's been kind of nice. (laughs) just being able to be a potato. But this gives me something to do. And so I'm not a potato. So I have missed all of you guys. I have also pretty much taken a break from like our Instagram. Meg went like stupid viral. So if you're listening to us from Instagram, this is our first new episode since the shit hit the fan. (laughs) Since Israel keys. Yeah. And full disclosure, I actually fell down the rabbit hole for two different cases from Australia for this week. One of the cases was one of um, the one our Patreon listener recommended. And it took me, I researched so much about it, I realized I needed more time. Like it wasn't an appropriate amount for me to like be able to dive into it. So that one's going to be in a couple episodes. It's our episode who took our, our episode—it's our listener who took us on a tour of Australia when we were on oh, discourse. Yes. So She's awesome. awesome. Um, this case was also a listener request, and we're coming back from break in the most brutal fashion. So I'm gonna apologize in advance. Your weekly trigger warning for sheer brutality, rape, murder, bestiality—it's So it's, it's a bad one. Welcome back, friends. This week, we're going to talk about Anita Cobby. She was born on November 2nd, 1959 in Sydney, Australia, to graphic designer with the Royal Australian Air Force. I didn't even know that was a job in the military, but that's dope.
0: Graphic designer? Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. I didn't know that either. Makes Um, sense. Her dad's name
1: was Gary Lynch. Her mom was a nurse. Her name was Peggy. She was absolutely gorgeous and literally a beauty pageant queen. She won the title of Miss Western Suburbs in November of 1979. She could have had a promising career as a model, but she felt like probably what I would feel like if I was a model, that I just needed more out of life. It wasn't quite as fulfilling as she wanted.
0: People telling you you're beautiful all day long... Who needs just, that? You just need, She just wanted
1: more. So she felt like she had another life calling, and so she decided to start training to become a nurse like her mom. She began studying for a nursing degree at Sydney Hospital. When she was 20 years old, she met John Cobby, a 23-year-old fellow nurse. He described her as, quote, just these ringlets of hair everywhere. God, she was beautiful. And I thought, far too good for me. And I k- melted. The The second part I added. That was me. I melted. Oh, out. you melted. I melted personally. He <laughs> asked her out thinking that she, he would never have a chance. But to his surprise, she was also interested in him. They had Aww. their first date and they were inseparable following it. Which so wholesome. John asked Anita to marry him after less than a year of dating. Shortly after their engagement, the couple found out that Anita was expecting. They were so excited. They couldn't wait to be parents. But unfortunately, shortly after they had announced their pregnancy, Anita suffered a miscarriage. Understandably, the couple was devastated. They assured each other that they would have another chance. They would start their family soon enough. They were married on March 27th, 1982, in what John called a typical Australian wedding with nothing pretentious about it. Good, that's, that's the kind <laughs> we
0: like. That sounds like a party to me. Yeah, like, that's nothing pretentious about it means like the bride's doing a keg stand or something.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's that song? Like I showed up in boots.
0: <laughs> I don't know what that song is, but it sounds hilarious. <laughs> it's a uh... I have friends in little places. Oh, okay. okay, That's (laughs) the type of wedding I picture.
1: They were living a life of going to concerts, dining out, being dog parents to their two dogs. Anita worked at Sydney Hospital and John worked the equivalent of what we consider a travel nurse because it had better pay. John was growing restless, and he wasn't content with being a nurse anymore, so he approached Anita about moving to Rockdale so he could pursue his dream of training horses. Anita was like, yeah, let's do it. They packed up and moved. A few years later, John won $10,000 um, at a horse race, and he was like, all right, Anita, it's your turn. What do you want to do? Like a gambling horse race? Like, no, I think like it was his horse like I'm not necessarily sure if it was like he was gambling or if it was like he trained horses and that horse competed. I okay. think that's kind of what I was wondering. Yeah. That's what okay. I was. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, Without hesitation. She's like, I want to travel. I want to see the world. So they did. They traveled. They took an extended trip around the U S having the time of their lives, which side note for a minute. It is still, I think it's because, we live in the United States. It's always interesting to me when people are like, "I'm going to travel
0: to the United States because I'm going be on high. vacation." Yeah, my family from England when they came over, and they were like, "We're we're going all over. We're going to go to Las Vegas. We're going to go to Chicago." And I was just like, "Oh yeah, I guess that could be fun." Yeah, but I guess <laughs> and it's like, like, is fun, but it yeah. just it's so much further for them than it is for us. They returned home in the middle of
1: 1985 and John was ready to put some roots down. He wanted to get a stable job. He wanted to start a family, but Anita was in her mid twenties. She felt like she had a lot more traveling to do. She wasn't ready to give that up. She still wanted to see the world. And it became clear at this point that they wanted two different things they were going in different directions and despite how much they loved each other they decided to just take a break so they both could figure out who they were separately and figure out what they wanted
0: how long had they been married at that point they got married really young then yeah they got well she was 21 when they got married oh okay i i missed that i think mm-hmm. he was
1: uh he he was 23 when they met and she was 20 and so they got married the next year okay So Anita moved back in with her parents and sister in Blacktown, New South Wales, and John moved in with his family in Rockdale. They had only been separated for about six weeks, and they they were still talking every single day. It's not like they had this huge fight where they were like, "There was no animosity." They were pretty much like still dating. They just, you know, they were just taking the friendship route. Yeah. They started talking like, Hey, maybe let's give this another try. Like maybe let's get an apartment on February 2nd, 1986. Anita told her parents that she was going to be late after her shift because she was going to meet some friends for dinner. Her shift was from seven to three, like seven in the morning to three. She finished it. Um, She was working at the Sydney hospital and she met her friends for dinner in Redfern. The next morning, Anita's mother went to wake her up and realized that she wasn't in her bed, but she didn't think too much of it. She's 26 years old, she's an adult. Maybe she just ended up staying out with friends. And it wasn't until Peggy got a call from the city hospital asking where Anita was because she didn't show up for work at one o'clock like she was supposed to. And that wasn't like her. She was known to be punctual, dependable. Her patients loved her kind demeanor and the fact that she took the time to really get to know them. Immediately, she knew that something was wrong. Her, her husband, Gary, and Anita's sister, Catherine, started calling friends and family to see if they knew where Anita was. At 8 o'clock that night, they called John, which to me, they called all of her friends first. And it's a little strange to me that he wasn't their first call. Like, I'm not
0: sure why it took so long maybe she was like hiding it from them that they were like me again yeah and keeping it on the low low like maybe
1: like they liked that they were having space i don't really know you know i don't want to speculate too much because it's not my place to but it's it was just a little odd to me um when they called john they learned that he was having a dinner at a restaurant with his dad and a friend so they called the restaurant to ask and like he got on the phone and he was like, Hey, like what's going on? And they asked if, like, are you with Anita? You know, we can't find her. And he frantically left dinner, which I guess pissed his dad off. But he's like, Hey, something happened to Anita. I got to go. And he headed straight to Blackdown, Blacktown to Anita's family home. When he got there, he started asking her parents like the usual questions Where was she supposed to be? Did they call the police? Did you call all of her friends? He explained to them that he had spoken to Anita the day before, and he asked um, if she wanted him to come pick her up from work, if she wanted to come over. But she's like, I already have dinner plans with my friends tonight. His rapid fire questions started to annoy her dad because, like, of course, they had thought of everything. Of course, they were trying everything they could. But John picked up that her family wasn't exactly vibing (laughs) with him there. So he's like, "Okay, I'm going to go. The next day, him and Anita were supposed to go to Shelly Beach on Central Coast. So he headed there thinking like maybe, just maybe, Anita would be there waiting for him. On his way there, he listened to the radio. He smiled thinking about how just a couple of months ago, they drove the same stretch of land, laughing, singing, talking. His daydream was interrupted by a news bulletin that would change everything. A naked body of a young woman has been found in a paddock at Prospect in Western Sydney, police are yet to identify her.
0: Mm. Yeah. And gut got wrenching you and you know, he probably just knew.
1: Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, February 4th, 1986, just one day after her parents realized she was missing and not just out with friends, a local farmer named John Reen noticed his cattle gathering around something in his field, which paddock, you know, same. It's like a farm. I had to look and see what it was. Grassland. I was like, what is a paddock? Maybe I'm (laughs) saying
0: that wrong. I pictured like butter. (laughs) Just a paddock of butter. I think it's just a pad. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Go ahead. We digress. (laughs) He discovered the
1: naked, bloody, and battered body of a woman. Police asked him if he heard anything like they would later ask him if he heard anything that would be suspicious and he's like actually yeah on the night of february 2nd i heard some screams but rean road which is like it's named for his family they're like prestigious dairy farmers in the area it was a popular spot for teenagers to like park and party so he just assumed that like he was used to cars being back there so it wasn't anything like I mean, it was, just weird. it was kids. Yeah, but he just thought it was like them damn kids. Youths. So he just went back to sleep. The crime scene left even seasoned detectives absolutely horrified. Trigger warning. They discovered the naked body of a woman lying face down. When they turned her over, her eyes were still open and her face was, quote, frozen in sheer terror.
0: Oh,
1: She had numerous lacerations all over her body, and her neck was so severely cut that she nearly was decapitated. Police didn't even want to move her out of fear that her head would not stay connected to her body.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Brutal. Yeah. The only identifying marker on the woman, she had no purse, no identification, was a Russian-style wedding ring, which is like three bands that are kind of intertwined together. Um, and so
0: they thought that that could be, like,
1: someone would, it's unique, so people would be able to, like, identify it. Someone would it. see
0: it and say, that's this person's.
1: Detective Sergeant Ian Kennedy, he heard, like, he knew that Anita had been reported missing. And he assumed that if this victim was her, then her parents would be able to recognize, like, identify her by this rake. So he slipped it off of her finger. He had it bagged. When Detective Kennedy made his way to Anita's family's house, he showed them the ring. And Gary thought that maybe it could belong to his daughter, like maybe not. And when he said that, I was like, maybe he doesn't vibe with John. Because I feel like if my dad saw my, like, would see my wedding ring, like something I wear often, not necessarily a wedding ring, but like any jewelry, if I wore it all the time, he'd be like, you know, yeah, that's.
0: Yeah, that it also kind of just sounds like a dad thing, like that yeah, maybe he true. just wasn't didn't pay that much attention. And to that I think kind if it were me
1: and if someone was at my house, like telling me something like
0: horrible, didn't want to know,
1: I would make every excuse to be like, nope, that's not my kids. That couldn't be. Nope. Yeah, uh, absolutely understandable. Her sister assured them that it could not be Anita's because that ring re- had rust on it and her ring does not. But what Catherine didn't realize is it was not rust that was all over the ring. It was blood. Later that afternoon, John Cobby confirmed that the ring did indeed belong to his wife. And then they asked him if he could go to the station because her body still had to be identified, like formally identified. And he was like, no, like, I don't want to see my wife like that. I can't do it. Her mom said that, Hey, I've been a nurse my whole life. I've seen hundreds of dead bodies. I'll be, I can go down there. But this is when how brutal the case was really started to set in for her family. Cause the police officers were like, no, like you cannot be the one to go identify your daughter. Ooh. But her dad ended up being the person to go down there. When they pulled the cover back, he dropped to his knees and he completely lost it. The victim that was found in John Reinsfield was indeed his daughter, Anita Cobby. The police had told her family in a way this was the shortest part of the investigation because now they had to find out who did this to their daughter. And Detective Kennedy gave him his word that he was going to do everything he could to find out who murdered her. His nickname was Speedy. So I don't know if it's considered, like, because of how fast he was, like, in on the job, or if, like, his person was fast, like. It's just a quick, quick fella. Just, like, walks with a fast step. The investigation started immediately. Everyone was questioned. First person up was her husband, John Cobby. What started out as simple questioning, like, how long have you known Anita? Led into... Why were you guys separated to, we know you killed her. (laughs) Jeez. And they were so adamant about it that he was like, yep, I did it. Must have. And so then they're thinking, like, could this have been a crime of passion? Her friends had mentioned that maybe she was seeing another nurse at the hospital. Like, did he find out? Did he get jealous? But all of their theories came to a crashing halt when the autopsy report came back. Medical examiner Dr. Joseph Malouf conducted the autopsy, and he determined that there were several people involved in her horrific murder.
0: Oh, my gosh. What?
1: Several? Several. At this point, it's now February 6th, the city knew that Anita had been the victim that was found, but what investigators were not expecting was to hear morning radio radio show host John Laws read a leaked copy of the autopsy live on the morning radio live on the radio Radio is supposed to be
0: happy yeah
1: you call in and like and when he was asked about it later he was like i just felt
0: like the public needed to know what happened and i get no no you felt like you wanted
1: ratings and i get wanting to be like there was a brutal murder but like, I mean, I don't listen to the radio anymore because 2021, but I remember listening to the radio on the way to school growing up. Like I was in the car, like with my mom, like, you know, like go on the way to school. That's yeah. like, Yeah, the... that
0: feels ina- like inappropriate.
1: I was like to read on a move, morning
0: radio show. John Laws.
1: And I'm obviously like, I do not know this man, John Laws. Maybe he is like a renowned radio host i don't know all i'm saying was this was a dick move and i'll stand by that
0: yeah i could maybe understand some of those details coming out on like a nightly news segment like at mm-hmm. the 11 o'clock i something like that but no that's
1: and the police no, okay. like started an eternal investigation but they never found out who was the one who like leaked it the autopsy report reported that huge trigger warning guys Anita had been sexually assaulted in such a brutal fashion that I'm not even going to go into details. There was bruising on her head and body caused by both fists and feet, abrasions to her back, legs, chest, shoulders, and arms because she had been drugged through a barbed wire fence before she was murdered. Both of her shoulders were broken. She had tons of defensive wounds. She fought like hell. like She was alive through All of this. And she fought like hell. Three of her fingers were nearly severed from trying to defend herself. She had lacerations to her neck. Three of them that were minor. Three of them they considered major. That resulted in the near decapitation. And most of the structures and muscles on the right side of her neck and trachea were severed. He estimated that this level of torture took place over his guess was about two hours and she was alive up until the
0: fatal, um, cut to her neck. Nope. Don't like that. No, that's.
1: And that was red. And that was like, that was brutal. Me saying that that is not an official, that is not an official report. That is not like this, 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 and this. And I read the, I read parts of it. That's why I didn't want to talk about her sexual assault. And he read, he just read it. So Ooh. people were pissed. They were pissed at yeah. her family and John. Cause that's how her family and John learned how brutal the attack was from this. The people, <sighs> they were like, I've had my kids in the car. Like I have, you know, and a lot of that. As we know with investigations, detectives keep some of that stuff close to them because it can
0: hinder a trial. Yeah. Those people that they find can, you know, let themselves out of the bag. Did that guy get fired? Did he? What it happened didn't to him? Say, you know?
1: no, no, but nothing like this had ever happened in Australia before. Immediately there was huge rewards offered for any information, like up to $50,000. It was the first um time of reward like that had been offered so quickly in a case and the sheer brutality of her murder rocked the entire country her funeral was a few days later and john literally had to be held upright he had never like he had never done drugs before but he started heavily abusing drugs and alcohol he said that all he wanted was to quote feel her and die he he cried out in the middle of her funeral please, God, don't take her away from me. And honestly, things stayed bad for John. He never got over losing Anita. And I'll talk about him more like at the end of the case. But he lost the love of his life and he never forgave himself for it, which I understand. I would probably feel the same way. Yeah. So investigators are now trying to piece together the events of Anita's last night. They had A female officer dressed in the exact clothes that Anita wore, hoping it would, and she would walk the, like, walk the route that Anita took, hoping, like, it would jar someone's memory. They walked the trains that Anita would have taken to see if anyone remembered seeing her. They recorded a reenactment of her that was played on TV. Police knew that her friend had dropped her off at Central Station, and she took the train home like she did most nights. She would usually stop and call her dad to come pick her up, but on this night, all of the phones were out of order. And that's people around there were like, oh yeah, the phones weren't working that night. Just that one night? Yeah, there was like an outage or something. Police, other than that, police had nothing else. And then finally, a break. Linda and John McGoffey, they were both teenagers, heard a woman scream and ran outside where they saw two men forcing a woman inside their vehicle around 9.50 on February 2nd. Their older brother returned home soon after, and he went out searching for the car that it could have been. It was described as a white Holden with gray on the bottom, described as being in poor condition with patchy paintwork. At first, investigators were like, no, that couldn't have been her because she usually takes the 9.12 train, and that would have had her arriving too late for this like, specific time frame. That couldn't have been her. But after they canvassed the trains, they realized she actually took the 850 train that night. So it would have had her getting off the train right at the right time. So now there's a car to look for. It's a start, right? Yeah. Police discover that a car matching that description was stolen. Shocker. Mm, Lame. But at this point, the leads kind of just start coming in for detectives. An informant came forward with the names John Travers, Michael Murdoch, and Les Murphy. John Travers is one of the most deranged people I have ever read about. And I read a lot of messed up shit, guys. <laughs> like a lot of it.
0: We read about Carl Panzram, you know? <laughs> like- yeah. He's not quite there, but it's not, it's not damn great. near
1: close. He had a violent history of sexual assault. He was a suspect in rapes both of men and women in Western Australia. Um, A woman had claimed that he raped her and as he raped her, he held a knife to her neck. He reportedly celebrated his 18th birthday by, trigger warning guys, raping a sheep before he cut its throat and cooked it at a barbecue.
0: (laughs) What? yeah the world,
1: yeah, this guy is fucked up. like
0: <sighs> Ugh, not- okay, yeah. Ugh. you're only eighteen, and like that's what's going through you. what mm-hmm. yeah. okay, Michael Murdoch was
1: Trevor's right hand man. He had been friends with him since they were kids. He spent a lot of his younger years in juvenile prison. What is crazy to me is apparently when he was in, uh, like, juvie, he had been sexually assaulted, like, numerous times, and he would write to politicians about it. Okay. And then you'd turn out to be a piece of shit. Could have had
0: a different path, friend. hmm
1: Les Murphy was the third person mentioned. He was 22. He had a rap sheet full of theft-related incidents, a bunch of petty crimes. Police broke into two groups to arrest the men, and honestly... I read all about these like raids that they conducted and we'll talk about it more like here in a few minutes. They were all in very dramatic fashion. And I am, an, <laughs> I am a fan of it. I am here for it.
0: We love the drama. We love like it. Like a movie, they kick kicking yep. the door. They're all exactly. in all black. <laughs> and
1: the, the first time they broke it. Cause like the, the guys were at different places. They broke into like, they broke down the door of one of them but they didn't see there was like a fish tank there so they like
0: shattered the fish tank (laughs) no those poor fish i just picture like the battering ram where they have to hit it like hit my yeah hit my shelf there you have to hit it like four or five times Ah!
1: (laughs) oh shoot the fish all three men were arrested without incident and brought in for questioning and the plan was to get them to only question them about the car theft, get them to admit to it, and then they can tie the car to the murder. And proudly, I will say, this is not going to be a case where I have anything negative to say about the investigation. You know, there was a lot of good old-fashioned police work going on that we love to see. We love to see it, yeah. Murdoch and Murphy both admitted to stealing the car. But when pressed, they, of course, denied any knowledge of Anita's murder. They had never heard anything about it. They were charged and released on conditional bail. And when I first read that, I was like, what the hell? You let him go. But it was so police want because right now the police have no physical evidence linking them. They haven't even found the car. So they wanted to be able to trail them 24 seven. So they just had surveillance on them constantly thinking they would lead them to the car. When Travers was questioned, he admitted to stealing the car and then immediately said, but I didn't kill that slut. And police were like, hold on a second. No one brought that up. It's a little strange that that's the first thing you're going to talk about over here. At this point, he was not released on bail because he also was a suspect in these other sexual assaults good so he was ordered to give a blood test and he was held at the jail
0: how is he not already in jail
1: i don't know just a shitty person who can just like elude the police he asked if he could call his aunt to bring him cigarettes his aunt is his uncle's wife detective kevin rowell called her And she is simply known as Miss X. And I'll explain that in just a minute. When she answered the phone, uh, Detective Rao told her what Trevor's wanted. And she paused. And then she started sobbing. She's like, I need to talk to you about John. It's about his behavior towards women. She told him that if he wouldn't have called her, she was going to call him soon. Because she had seen what happened to Anita. And she thought that John might be involved. The detectives asked her if she'd be willing to talk to him to try and get a confession. Because like I said, at this point, they don't really have anything to go on. On February 23rd, she's like, okay, I'll do it. So on February 23rd, 1986, she brought Trevor's cigarettes and talked to him through the small opening where meals are passed. They had coached her and told her not to ask any direct questions. You know, just let him talk. They didn't want it to seem like it was coercion or like let him know that they were on to him. She walked away from the meeting, collapsed into the detective's arms and said, it's him. There were five of the bastards.
0: Oh, my gosh. She told him that he
1: spoke about the acts with pure joy and that he, quote, was not human. She told the police that Les's older brothers, Gary and Michael, were also there the detectives wanted more concrete evidence because at this point it would be her word against his in a trial and any good defense lawyer will be like, mm, he didn't say that yeah. you're lying. So they wanted to try and get her to like wear a wire and like record the conversation. But like, this is not 2021. This was the old ones where you have the two tapes, like the, the big, it, it's like a big Heavy, system. Yeah. But they spoke with her and her husband, who, like I said, was Travers' uncle. And at first they were like, man, maybe this guy is not going to be on board with us getting hair to help, you know, put Travers away. But he, after he heard everything, he was like, you're doing the right thing. They assured her that nothing would happen to her. They would protect her and her family. So striped with a, strapped with a microphone, Miss X went back in to talk to Travers. He openly discussed the murders again. He told her to go back to his home in Duneside and to get the knife with the brown wooden handle out of the kitchen drawer because that was the one that he had used to kill Anita Cabi. Later, he told her that they had burned her clothes in an incinerator in the back garden and got rid of all of the ashes. He asked her to find his faded jeans at the house because they had blood on them too. He wanted her to go talk to the other guys and get them to... Um, Get rid of the car. He
0: asked, Jeez, for, oh my so the boldness, the audacity. The audacity.
1: Like that, the audacity. It gets better. He's like, hey, I would like you to help me get out of here. And there was like a train track that ran right next to the like the jail. He's like, I want you to derail this train, just like in a movie. So it'll come (laughs) through the jail wall, and I'm going to walk out of here. With an explosion
0: (laughs) behind me.
1: You are not con air, sir.
0: (laughs) That guy, this guy is deranged. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then, like, he said, like, she said,
1: like, halfway through it, like, he started realizing, like, wait a second, maybe that's not. Uh, like that? That's that's not how, the best idea. Like, how do you derail a far, the train? That's a little far fetched. So, how about you have Gary and Mick—that's his friend Michael Murdoch—be at the back door. Have him be at the back door with a couple shoties, like whoosh, shotguns, at three a.m. before I have to go to court. He explained to her like they didn't check on—they only checked on him at night. Once the sun came up, they didn't really check on him anymore. And so, with all of this information the police conduct another dramatic raid and arrest Murdoch and Les Murphy
0: and the other guys, the other brothers and just, Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry. I'm excited. I want to know what happens. When questioned with the new
1: information, they told the detectives, it was all Travers. We had nothing to do with it. None of us had anything to do with her murder. It was all him. We didn't do anything. Um, When Detective Rosetta came in to tell Travers his new charges, like, hey, you're being arrested for the murder of Anita. He's like, who gave us up? That was what he said. Who did it? Who told? This guy is 19 years old. He's a fucking monster. He, they get him into the questioning room. He immediately begins telling detectives the events of that night. Acting like it's no big deal. Like pulling some Israel keys bullshit. He said that that night they saw Anita as they like walking by herself, as they were driving around in their stolen car, him and Murdoch were the ones to grab Anita. And when they got her in the car, they immediately ripped off her clothes. They realized they needed gas. So they pushed her onto the floorboard of the car, stole her money to buy their gas and, and, He goes into detail about like the sexual assault and then he admit, he said that he killed her after everyone was finished because she saw them and she could recognize their faces. And he was like, they were all telling me to do it. Like, come on, do it. The three of them had to go to their first court appearance to be read the charges and crowds of up to like upwards of 300 people were gathered outside. They had signs that said, hang the bastards. Construction workers hung dummies outside, like hanging from like nooses, and they all wanted the same thing. They wanted to watch these men burn. The detectives said they had never seen anything like this. People surrounded the cars. They were rocking them, just trying to get in. The court appearance only lasted. Let them about have f- them. Yep, that was one of the signs. Says my tax dollars isn't going to pay to keep them up. Hang the bastards. I was like, I feel that on a personal level, this level of brutality. I completely agree with that statement. No doubt. The core appearance lasted about five minutes. And then they were taken back to the jail through the same crowd of people. So now the hunt is on for Gary and Michael. Their pictures were posted everywhere. Tons of tips were coming in and police were following up on every single one doing raids on every single tip. They got battering rams everywhere finally a another informant which also kudos to this police department because they have tons of informants they're just like
0: (laughs) 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 these people just don't want to be involved they're like hey we saw that was messed up so can you just this is
1: this is where they are
0: this exonerates me from knowing this person
1: over 50 officers, including tactical response officers and a police helicopter, surrounded the house where Michael and Gary were. A tactical response officer busted the door in. Michael was sitting on a couch with a woman and her baby, just watching TV. Gary was behind, standing behind them. Gary took off out the back door, and Michael tried to, but Detective Kennedy said, Not today, you little shit. He didn't say that, but that's what I'm saying because that's what I would say. (laughs) He said, not today. He took him to the ground and put a shotgun to his face and was like, get down, stay down. Gary made it to the back fence, but was tackled through the fence. His head went through it. He had gashes on his face. And the only satisfaction I get from this entire case of the events that happened afterwards there is the, the picture of Gary Murphy being arrested. And it shows a giant urine stain on his pants because he pissed, <laughs> he himself, pissed himself when he got arrested. <laughs> and there's like, report, like awesome. there's legitimate statements where the cops were like, I'm glad he did that. I'm glad that he pissed himself so other inmates can see it. And when he gets
0: to prison, they'll see him He's for the little, little coward that he is. Yep. Yeah. Man, I would love to see footage of just that whole, like, go it, getting tackled through the fence, mm-hmm. shotgun to the face. And the picture, like,
1: we obviously will post this picture to our Instagram because I can't not. You do brutal crimes. This is the least I could do. And he's just, like, walking, and he's just got this giant pee stain, and it's not like Adam Sandler. Not a cool <laughs> kid. Not
0: not the coolest kid. Oh Michael man, Murphy. that's awesome!
1: Yeah, Michael Murphy. They because they put him in different police cars. He started talking like pretty much as soon as the door shut. He's like, "I was at the murder. I never touched her." And like I said, that's the theme you're gonna see through this entire process. Michael, Les, Gary, and the other Michael said that they all, like all of them, didn't want to murder Anita. That they just wanted to leave her out there after they had sexually assaulted her. <laughs> After they had yeah. Brutally raped her. They said that Travers is the one that stayed back after they were all walking back
0: to the car. Yeah, they and all he held hands and skipped back to the car while he just hung out. And
1: murdered Anita, and none of them wanted to. It was mm-hmm. all him. But Travers maintained that they were all as adamant, like they were all like hyping him up, saying do your thing, Tronny, which I don't know how Tronny, I have like vomit in the back of my throat, like just reading that statement. One thing was consistent, though. None of them showed any remorse. Gary would later add to his story as kind of like a doof that he heard his brother, Michael, telling Travers the same thing. Do your thing. They were, they all started to turn on each other. Good. The men were charged with abducting, assaulting, murdering, raping, and robbing Anita. Travers was additionally charged with two counts of assaulting another woman from January 8th, 1986. The trial started on March 24th, 1987. It lasted 54 days. Travers immediately pled guilty. So he wasn't even at the trial, which pissed off the other four because they were like, what the hell? Well, they all said he was guilty, so. He wouldn't be seen again until since. And that, I think that also just goes to show the level of callous and no remorse and monster he's in. He's like, yeah, I did it. Sure. Yeah, you're right. He wouldn't be seen again until sentencing. (laughs) Gary Murphy's lawyer requested a separate trial because apparently he had changed his story saying that. Hey, I left the group before any of this happened. I wasn't there for the rape. I wasn't there for the murder.
0: I was there. I left. Okay, pee pants, whatever. He gave an
1: unsworn statement, which meant that he couldn't be, because it was unsworn, he couldn't be cross-examined about it. His lawyer said that he gave his first statement under pressure from the police because they had fractured his jaw in two places during the arrest when his head went through the fence, which...
0: You're lucky that that's all you friend.
1: got. Yeah, for sure. Um, Her dad testified at the trial because he was the one that had to identify her body. And they were really worried about him being there because he had told Detective Kennedy like. That he would murder them. Times. He was like, wouldn't take me but a second to snap a neck. Just. So they were like, do we really want to put this guy on the stand? Yeah. Put him in a room with Put them. him in there. That's what I think. Yeah. I stand by that. We've talked about let that before. In. Give him the two hours that they gave his daughter. Give him two hours. Let him have it. Do your thing, Dad. Detective Kennedy was asked how Michael Murphy got a mark on his cheek after his arrest. And he responded, probably when I had my boot on his head as he laid on the floor. I was like, all right. But the defense was unable to prove police brutality because due to the nature of the murder they were excessive force was not and not even excessive extreme force was authorized because these guys were you know brutal murderers yeah and they were very careful throughout this whole thing the detectives and the other officers when they did their other um raids like when they would arrest the men before they were very careful so they didn't have this looming police brutality thing over them during the trial to like you know they didn't want to discredit anything on june 16th 1987 all five were found guilty of sexual assault and murder they were each sentenced in the supreme court of new south wales to life imprisonment plus additional time without the possibility of parole which was a huge deal Because typically that is not usually it's life in prison. And, you know, we've talked about this with other countries. It's not typically without parole.
0: That you get the option to like. Yeah.
1: Good. Justice Alan Maxwell described the crime as, quote, one of the most horrifying physical and sexual assaults. This was calculated killing done in cold blood. The executives should grant to the prisoners the same degree of mercy that they bestowed on Anita Lorraine Cobby in Mr. Reen's boiler paddock on the night of February 2nd, 1986. So at this point, John Travers is currently serving at Wellington Correction Center. It's a maximum security prison. Les Murphy is serving his sentence at Goldburn Correctional F- Facility. He had actually gotten a retrial due to his low IQ. And they took away the without parole, and it's just life in prison. But parole has never been specified. And from the previous, I don't ever see him getting – I don't ever see them getting yeah. out. Michael Murdoch was also at Goldburn, but he got reclassified at, as like a medium security prisoner, and the public went nuts about it. They were like, what the hell? He's, he needs to be Maximum. So in 2002, he was moved to Lithgow Correctional Center, where he was reclassified as a maximum security inmate. Gary Murphy was also bounced around in prison. In June of 2019, he was severely beaten by several other prisoners in the shower block of 10 Wing in Long Bay and was transferred to a hospital in critical condition. Rumor was he couldn't even sit down. So I'm not exactly sure what happened to him, but I can only hope that it was. Brutal. I bet he peed his pants. Um, and on August 23rd, 2020, it was revealed that at some point he had been moved back to Goldburn. Michael Murphy was also bounced around, but was by all accounts a model prisoner once he got to prison. He never got in trouble. He stayed to himself. He had liver cancer and died in February 2019. So no remorse there from me. See ya. Yeah. And I told you I was going to talk about John, her husband. He struggled with drugs so bad after Anita's death that he didn't go to the trial his, and actually like during the trial, like right before it started, his parents had asked if he could like, they could let him move and go stay somewhere else. And since at this point, you know, he wasn't a suspect or anything like they let him, he moved with his friend in Michigan for a little bit. He struggled with drugs. He moved to San Francisco, at one point in San Francisco, he woke up with a broken foot, had no idea how it happened. He moved back to Sydney, changed his last name to Francis, and his kids didn't even know who he was until June, or I'm sorry, until 2016. His kids. When, he has kids. So he had another wife, like, later on, uh-huh. and they were watching TV, and, like, it, it was – like an anniversary of her death and a news article came on and he started sobbing and they were like, what the hell is wrong with you? And he told us and he's like, that was my wife. I am John Cobby. Oh man. He still mourns for her. He, for the longest time, he didn't know the full details surrounding like her, um, like the names of her murderers. He started working as a prison, like a psych ward nurse, and his sister was convinced it was because he was trying to find out which prison that these guys were at because he wanted to kill them, which rightfully so.
0: Yeah. I would too. That's that. You're allowed to feel that way. You're allowed to feel murderous rage. I would feel murderous rage. I yeah. would.
1: I honestly, I don't even know. I don't even have words to describe and I hope I never have words to describe like how I would feel if something that brutal happened to one of my children.
0: I don't want to think about it, quite frankly. I would kill them. At least one or two of them. I'd go for all five. I'd like to think... call you up and be like, come on, we gotta go tag team some bitches.
1: Yep. <laughs> I just think that for her to be a victim of opportunity... And for them to just not give a shit, it makes me laugh. Even act
0: like you give a shit. No. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I was any. I'm sorrys. No, I'm sorrys. I'm just glad that Gary got assaulted. I wish they all did.
1: Maybe they <laughs> do. That's what I could only hope.
0: Fingers crossed. Fingers her dad died, crossed, in those like, guys are miserable. Her dad
1: died in 2008, and her mom died in 2013 but they started like um they had like a nursing scholarship and they started like other like charitable organizations for families of like homicide victims like for like support and
0: that's awesome. I love that. Good. I'm glad that they were able to do something positive with that horrible situation they were dealt. Ugh. That was brutal. Mhm. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back, buddies.
1: We have Thanksgiving coming up. Next week will be Thanksgiving. Isn't that crazy?
0: Yeah, it is crazy because I feel like November just started. N- yeah, next. And honestly, Thursday. it still feels like September in my brain. Like, I don't even know where October or November has gone. No, no, it's.
1: And I keep thinking to myself, I need to put up my Christmas decorations. I've
0: like kind of started. I, I put my tree up. I didn't put ornaments on it. I just did the tree. I I know this
1: sounds like very first world problems, and I'm not trying to be that like shitty mom, but my son is in like a competitive soccer league, and they keep freaking winning. So every weekend has been soccer. This is the last weekend, no matter what, win or lose, and I'll be honest, I'm just ready to be done. I want him <laughs> to exceed, like succeed, but... Exceed, Holy, exceed, <laughs> exceed my expectations. But they're like having a great time, and I know. Okay, Eddie,
0: you're if, if like, you're a uh, mom, I'm tired of soccer
1: this past weekend, it was snowing and raining, and I hate the cold. And I was like wrapped up in my coat, and then he has a girlfriend and he was like, can my girlfriend come to my soccer game? And like, look, it's not that they're like in sixth grade. It's not like a big thing. And I was like, okay. Like we know her parents. I was like, yeah, sure. We'll take her. And I kept asking her like, Hey, cause like we could see the field from my car. And I was like, you could, do you want to go sit in the car? Cause like my husband, I volunteered to be a timekeeper, which <laughs> karma, like all the things he makes me do. But, I volunteered. So I'm just me and my son's girlfriend. And I was like, Hey, you want to go sit in the car? And she's like, no, look how close we are to him. We can see it right here. And I'm like, Oh, is- to be 12. <laughs> I'm like, I am going to
0: be dead.
1: Like, okay. You sit here. I'm going to go sit in the car. And then I thought about that, but I was like, I feel responsible for this child. And then on yeah, top you of are. that, like, not that anybody cares, but I had Taco Bell on the way down, and I think I got gluten
0: or food poisoning. But I was like not my best
1: <laughs> at
0: this game. I told you you needed to get one of those little tents that you just like, zip yourself into. <laughs> I was just but not this. if you have Taco Bell farts, maybe that would not be good. No, I was no like ugh, like oh, legitimate okay. like. <laughs> sick. I like
1: excuse me, little tiny child. I have to go vomit. It was just like straight up, not a good time. And then I'm in my head convinced because I'm pessimistic by nature that they're going to win on Saturday. If they win on Saturday, they have a game on Sunday at 10. And then they have like a couple games afterwards. And I'm convinced it's going to be a Saturday win and just enough to be frustrating on Sunday, like a 10 a.m. win. And then maybe they'll lose that one. And then that'll be
0: like, I did. I thought all you this. said this was the last one, no matter what.
1: No, they play – so on Sunday, if they keep winning on Sunday, I have potential of three effing games. Oof. Three games. I'm glad and my
0: kids don't play sports.
1: I love watching him play. Like, as a mom, his skills have improved, and I love that. But, one, he's played soccer for a lot of years, and I'm still not completely sure on all the rules. <laughs> like, I don't really know what's going on.
0: It's like, I'm just here
1: because I have to be – and then I have other moms that talk to me and they're like, I'm like, I don't have, I don't know what to say. Yes. Your son is also good. Which son is yours? Because I'm zoned out.
0: <laughs> Who are you? What is happening? So i I'm watching what's happening on the other side of the field over there. I'm not are even there, watching this game. Are there any other
1: sports parents that are like, I really want to be supportive. but Like i kind of want you to lose. So I can be done with
0: this. Especially it's- at that age, because it's you. You got to take them. You got to sit there. You got to pick them up. Mm-hmm. Do all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's
1: rough. Man, I kind of feel bad for my parents because I used to make them go a lot of places, like when I was my
0: son's age too. Uh, my dad's quote was, "I'm not a taxi service." Ah, <laughs> uh, for my whole uh, life, I'm not a taxi service, and so I would. Well, in high school, I'd just like call you. It's true. Or I, I was walk. your taxi service. I remember and St.
1: Karen likes to remind me of this sometimes when I would text you like first thing in the morning, I was like, dude, let's not go to school today. And then I would take my siblings to school. And on the way, I would look at them and be like, you guys need to find a ride home today. <laughs> and they'd be like, okay. And then I would just drop them off. Like I was
0: their mother.
1: And then I would leave.
0: <laughs> go go do nothing and Ugh. the
1: best part was i had a very noticeable car like you knew
0: that i was just like yeah it was bright ass yellow skirt skirt
1: and, and like teachers in
0: the- stood in the parking lot Mm-hmm. would you drop them off at the front or did you drop them off like at the sides where the just kids so walked the sides, just no shame Virginia. no i had no shame i knew i knew i was graduating high
1: school after the end of our first trimester, so I was like, I don't give a shit anymore. Fun fact: Meg got in huge trouble
0: <laughs> for my being like, let's not go to school today. Yeah, I, uh, I got put on probation. I had to like, <laughs> I had a probation officer for six months. P.O. for truancy. <laughs> we had the same
1: P.O. Mine was for truancy too. Just way before that. I actually had gotten, not making this up guys, scarlet fever my junior year. And I was out for like weeks. So I had this permanent, almost sick pass. Like she's got a weak immune system from scarlet fever. So she's sick a lot.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Meg well, did not have, have that pass. I did not have a pass that gave me free reign of that, but why I acted we, like I did. Why didn't we try to call in for each other? I because they would have been like, no. <laughs> we didn't go to like a big school. Oh, we that's into a little true. school. You could have done uh, your mom voice. I <laughs> I'd have been like, hi. Hello. This is just Megan's dad. This is Connie's dad. She's sick. No, dude. I uh that sucked. I had to turn in my transcripts when I was getting ready to go to, s- to this program. They wanted my high school transcripts on the application. And I was like, ugh, I don't want to look at those. And I did, and I think I missed like 28 days junior year. 28 days of school. hmm It was more than all the other years combined.
1: <laughs> Raise your hand if you're the reason. That's me.
0: I was also the reason. I could have been like, oh, I really got to go. I'm sorry, but I didn't. How would I you? How had... were you going to get there? How was I going to go? Yeah, I could have ridden the bus. <laughs> Ugh. My little brother rode the bus. Yeah, I, I actually did. rode the bus for most of high school. I didn't get my license until I was pretty much graduated. I know. <laughs> you drove me around a lot, though. on <laughs> nights were... I was just a young... I was young... I didn't turn eighteen until after we graduated. Do
1: you want to hear something hilarious? My mom always tells me how she listens to the podcast. And I'm like, do you? do you listen to the podcast because do you I t- listen? <laughs> I've said a lot of questionable things at the end, like how I busted my teeth out and you don't know. And you don't listen my to my podcasts
0: me if like she hears something alarming that she's never heard. Like, should the Michigan story from so, like a long ago when we set, told on the podcast, she texted me and it was like, Michigan exclamation point question mark. And I'm like, I love your mom, mom I'm so 32 much. years old. You can't. But you're right. For this. <laughs>
1: Wait until she hears how up. we smirnoffs we snuck while we were in the hot tub.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was funny when that came back around and people are getting iced. Mm hmm. You know what I'm
1: talking about? You like, Yeah, I ice my husband
0: it. sometimes. <laughs> Sounds like murder. <laughs> I think that's a good note to end on. Icing yeah. your husband. <laughs> yeah, not like on ice, but you know. All right, well, we'll see you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving. See you next Wednesday.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime.
0: We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, and you'd like us to keep putting out ad-free content, here are some of the ways that you can help support Gruesome.
1: You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us, and you get a I knew them before they were famous moment.
0: Follow Gruesome Podcast on Instagram and talk to us on our posts. Engage with us. we love to hear from you there. If you'd like to send a donation, we have a Patreon. Sign
1: up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and to gain access to exclusive
0: Patreon perks. If a one-time donation is more your thing, you can find our Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and our PayPal using our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com.
1: Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether or not that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not.
0: Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.